You are listening to the teaching ministry of Gabriel Hughes. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday on this podcast, we feature 20 minutes of Bible study through a New Testament book. On Thursday is a study in the Old Testament, and then we answer questions from the listeners on Friday. Each Sunday, we are pleased to share our sermon series. Here's Pastor Gabe. Please open your Bible to Romans chapter 1. Our series for the year 2023, and surely into next year as well, has been in the book of Romans, and our theme is Christ to the Nations, as proclaimed on the banner to your left, with Romans 1.16 emblazoned as our reference, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We want to keep the words that we've sung this morning in mind, the gospel present in the lyrics that we have sung together in worship and keeping this message, this proclamation of the gospel forefront as we consider this difficult passage in Romans 1, verses 24 to 32. In honor of the word of the king, would you please stand? This is Romans chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. For their females exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, The males abandoned the natural function of the female and burned in their desire toward one another, males with males committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to an unfit mind to do those things which are not proper having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the righteous requirement of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. You may be seated as we pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this bold and clear text, There's some difficult things that are said here, especially in the nature of the culture in which we live, that would be hostile to these things which we've read. Some people in the world might even wish that the section of Romans 1 we've read would be made illegal and try to silence us from proclaiming God's truth. But it is necessary for us to hear these things clearly so that we may know the power of the gospel that rescues us from sin and delivers us into righteousness and your eternal kingdom. May we seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. In Christ Jesus this morning, in his name we pray, 
Amen. In the days of King Ahaz, the Lord had promised that judgment was going to come upon Judah at the hands of the Assyrian army. Judah had done wickedly before God, even committing the same abominations that Sodom had been guilty of. So God was going to turn them over to their enemies. But though Judah was told through the prophet Isaiah of this judgment that was coming upon them, their hearts were so hard that they could not hear the warning and so turn from their sin and be saved. They were so without reason that they came to the prophet of God and instead of saying, inquire of Yahweh for us, they said, inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter. Isaiah 8, 19 to 20 says, Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will clamor in the dark, for they suppress the truth in unrighteousness as we have heard from Romans 1.18. The world hates the idea that there is a God who is clearly spoken. They don't want a God who speaks clearly. They want a God like Ahaz and Judah wanted at that time, a God who whispers and mutters, and too many preachers are willing to appease them. The last two Southern Baptist Convention presidents preaching on this very section of Romans said that God whispers about sexual sin. Of course, one president was plagiarizing the other, but I digress. Is that the impression that you got from Romans 1 while we were reading this? That God was whispering about sexual sin? God doesn't whisper about anything. He has spoken loud and clear about sin and the consequences of sin. When we read Romans 1, 24 to 32, we are reading about how a perversion of the truth leads to a perversion of life. We must be clear about this so that we will clearly see the need for the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations, including our own. As we heard from Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. For the sake of context, as we come to our passage this morning, I want to consider once again, although Tom had read this last week, verses 24 to 25, where God gave them over to impurity. We'll move on to verses 26 to 27, where we read that God gave them over to dishonorable passions. And then verses 28 to 32, where God gave them over to an unfit mind. Look with me again at verse 24, where we read, Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. As the first word that we have here is, therefore, that's a good place, I think, to do some recap. Remember the argument that Paul is making here. 
He has stated in Romans 1, 16 to 17, that the righteous live. They are justified by faith, a point he's going to come back to in chapter 3. There is no way of obtaining righteousness except by faith in Jesus Christ. By contrast, he's showing how the unrighteous are condemned by their unbelief. What he is doing from verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 20, is showing how all people, women or men, Jew or Gentile, are under condemnation because they have violated the law. Whether that is the law of nature, which we read about here in chapter 1, or the law of supernatural revelation, which we will get to later on in chapter 2. Our purpose is to understand that all have sinned. Even how all have sinned. So that we will recognize the only way to be rescued from sin is in Christ alone. But people, by their sinful nature, do not desire God, nor his truth. They suppress the truth with unrighteousness. They exchange the worship of the creator for the created. They exchange the truth about God for the lie. As Pastor Tom said last week, perverted worship leads to a perverted life. And so God, in his wrath, turns the unbeliever over to degrading passions. Therefore, we read again in verse 24, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. The desire of their heart becomes the very action of their bodies. What we have in this verse is a general statement of God having given them over. Paul gets more specific as to their lust, their impurities, and the dishonoring of themselves in the verses that follow. Verse 25 calls back to what we heard last week in verses 18 to 23. Look at verse 25 with me. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Pastor Tom pointed out there's a definite article there. So it's actually they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now look at me for a moment. We're about to get into a list here of degrading passions. This is not exactly the kind of passage that you think about going through at devotions at the family dinner table. We heard not long ago from Ephesians 5.12, For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. And so to keep our minds fixed on the holiness of God rather than the unholiness of man, Paul offers this brief four-word doxology. God is blessed forever. And he punctuates that by saying, Amen. May it be so. May we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that we will not be overwhelmed, whether by solicity or by sorrow, regarding this list of passions that follows. So we go from this general statement about the lust of their hearts, and now we get more specific about these dishonorable passions. Look at verse 26. For this reason, 
Again, because they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, for this reason, God gave them over. This is God's wrath manifested upon the unrighteous. God gave them over to dishonorable passions. What are dishonorable passions? Look at verses 26 to 27. For their females exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. Verse 27. And in the same way also the males abandoned the natural function of the female and burned in their desire toward one another. Males with males committed indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Now, I want you to notice something about the language here. Most of you in your translations have something like this. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men. Now, that's not necessarily wrong, but it's not exact. What did I read to you? Rather than woman and man, the words that I used were female and male. Almost every single translation that you will read will say women and men except two. The Holman Christian Standard Bible, before they made their revisions, and the Legacy Standard Bible, which I'm reading from this morning. Even the King James Version says women and men. And I checked with Tom and Mark to make sure that they were seeing the same thing that I was saying, uh, th- that I was seeing. And they confirmed the Greek words that are there are not the words for woman and man. They're the Greek words for female and male, respectively. Now, this should bring to our attention the natural order God made in the beginning. Remember that when we started in on this section in Romans 1 last week, Tom said that it's clear here that Paul is taking us back to the beginning of creation. And what do we read in Genesis 1.27? God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Brothers and sisters, there are two sexes, male and female. And males will always be male, and females will always be female. Their genetics are immutable by God's design. Now, although there are only two sexes, there are only two sexes, we agree on that, right? How many genders are there? Four. Now, before anybody drags me out to the parking lot and stones me, (laughs) permit me to explain. People do not have genders. People have sexes. Words have genders. And in grammar, the four genders of a noun are masculine, feminine, common, and neuter. Where in the world did this concept come from that people can have any one of a multitude of genders and that gender is fluid? This idea originated with a sexologist, whatever that is, named John Money in the 1950s and 60s. He wrote over 500 papers and 40 books on the subject of sex and gender. Money did not consider the idea that there are only two sexes to be absolute So he hijacked the word gender, 
which led to the idea that though there may only be two sexes, there may be any number of different genders and a person can change genders. Terry Goldie, professor of English at York University in Toronto, wrote a biography of John Money. And he said, Money believed that if you were a biological male and believed yourself to be a female, that it was an ide fix. It was so important to you as a person that it could not be contradicted. Goldie said that money did not search for biological evidence of transgender identity, but accepted a patient's conviction as fact and, quote, that you should be given the right and the medical means to be what you want to be, unquote. If we would consider money to be the father of the transgender movement, then even he said from the beginning that there is no biological evidence for transgenderism, nor does there need to be. If a man believes he's a woman, then he's a woman. If he feels like he's neither and he wants to make up his own category, then that's true too. With an insatiable desire for sin, they have suppressed the truth and perverted that which God made from the beginning, male and female. And lest anyone wants to say that Jesus never addressed this, oh yes, he did. First of all, Jesus is the creator who made them male and female. And secondly, he said in Matthew 19, 4, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? But being given over to dishonorable passions, back to Romans 1, 26, their females exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. It's fascinating that Paul mentions females first before the males. By the way, that's the same order in which they fall in the LGBTQ acrostic, is it not? Why does Paul mention lesbianism before sodomy as an exchange of the natural function? Women, it seems, have ingrained in themselves a natural desire for motherhood, more so than men naturally desire fatherhood. It's why we'll use the expression, the clock is ticking for a woman, but we won't say that about a man. A woman has a limited window in her lifetime in which to bear children, whereas a man can become a father at almost any age. So in an unbelieving, godless culture, if the women have surrendered their natural function for that which is unnatural, that speaks to the totality of the corrupting influence of such a culture. The desire for motherhood is not even there. Instead, they exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. John MacArthur, on this particular verse, says the following, quote, In our culture, the lesbian movement has been vocal and relentless and passionate and fierce and even violent. Proof that absolutely all virtue is gone when motherhood, the highest normal human virtuous relationship, is abandoned and the people who do it are elevated to cultural icons. All virtue is gone when homosexuality invades the female sex. Unquote. Verse 27 again. And in the same way also, 
In the same way, the males abandon the natural function of the female and burned in their desire toward one another. Now, to word it this way, to, to describe their lusts as burning with desire is to say that the desires they have are a part of the wrath of God that they are under. This has been worded in just such a way to express that even the desire is disordered. We heard uh, from the beginning of this section in verse 24, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts. If a man lusts for another man, if he has a romantic desire for other men or likewise women with women, that is unnatural desire. Do not be fooled into thinking, as some want to say, that desire isn't something bad until you give in to it. Even the desire for sin is sin. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that if a man lusts for a woman, he has already committed adultery with her. In his heart. Colossians 3, 5 through 6 says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Get that that the very desire for sexual sin will incur the wrath of God. We read here in Romans 1 of God giving men over to burn in their desire toward one another. Males with males committing indecent acts. The wording is like it appears in the law. Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. But here in Romans 1, this is being spoken about as being contrary to nature. One does not need special revelation to know men having sexual relations with men is wrong. My friends, listen to me. We inherently know, you know this, you know a male and a male are sexually incompatible. We know that. It's obvious. There is surely no farmer on the planet who is so ignorant that he purchases two males of any animal expecting to get more offspring from that animal. If your kid goes to college and signs up for the ag program and he tries to mate a male sheep with another male sheep, that university will flunk him from their ag program. It does not matter how progressive and bought into the sexual revolution that campus happens to be. We know this so plainly that there's really no point for me to continue to argue this point. A man is an adult human male who will always be a male. And even though our one of our Supreme Court justices doesn't know this, a woman is an adult human female who will always be female. Sexual relations between man and woman are natural. And sexual relations between a man and a man or a woman and a woman are unnatural. 
and our unbelieving, depraved culture is so given over to a depraved mind that you might get fired from your job for repeating the captain obvious statement that I just made. Just last month, a young police officer in Georgia was suspended from his job and then forced to resign after he posted on Facebook that God designed marriage and there is no such thing as homosexual marriage. Also last month, the state of Colorado ruled against Masterpiece Cake Shop because owner Jack Phillips refused to bake a transitioning cake for a man who claimed to be a woman. In October, a teacher in California was fired because she refused to read books to her class that promoted same-sex marriage to children. In July, a housing manager in London was fired from her job when she voiced her belief in the biblical definition of marriage while campaigning for mayor in her local community. In June, a jailer in Iowa was fired because it was discovered that he expressed his belief in the biblical definition of marriage on Facebook 10 years ago. In 1 Peter 4, 4 through 5, we read, In all of this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And so the rest of verse 27 reads, They receive in their own persons the due penalty of their error. The due penalty is the fact that they have been given up to those unnatural excesses. And there are very immediate consequences for those who indulge in such an unnatural lifestyle. Hear me give you that warning because I love and care for people and don't want them to fall into this kind of lifestyle which leads to sexually transmitted diseases, deep depression, substance abuse, emotional and physical abuse, a shorter life expectancy for those who exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. And then, of course, there is the greater judgment in the life that is to come if they do not repent. So we have read that God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts, verses 24 to 25. He gave them over to dishonorable passions, verses 26 to 27. And finally, he gave them over to an unfit mind. Look at verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, meaning that they did not approve of God as being worthy of their worship, so God gave them over to an unfit mind mind. They did not see fit to acknowledge God, so God gave them over to an unfit mind. Rest of that verse, to do those things which are not proper, having been filled with all unrighteousness. Now remember that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. So we come back to that statement here in verses 28 and 29. They are filled with all unrighteousness. And then Paul fills out what other manner of unrighteousness they display. Now some will say that because there's this whole other list of sins here, Therefore, there's no real difference between these sins and the sin of sexual immorality or even homosexuality. 
But the scriptures are clear that there is a uniqueness to sexual sin that's unlike any other sin. As the Spirit says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a man commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral man sins against his own body. And even worse than sexual sins, like adultery and fornication, are homosexual sins. For the Spirit describes them here in Romans 1 as unnatural desire. Jude 7 says, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, having indulged in the same way as these in gross sexual immorality and having gone after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Don't try to tell Sodom and Gomorrah that God whispers about sexual sin or the sin of homosexuality. These are unnatural passions that God will judge. They will keep a person from the kingdom of God. And far be it from us to appease a person in their sin that would lead to their own destruction. But not everyone who has been turned over to an unfit mind will indulge in unnatural desire. They will, however, be unable to perceive what is good and so do the right thing. And so they will be given over to do that which is evil. These are the things which are most common among them. This list that we read at the conclusion of Romans 1, so often practiced that they are said to be full of these sins. Look at the next part of verse 29. We have wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, they are slanderers, they are haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. They'll even come up with new ways to sin. Friends, it's not like we've scraped the bottom of the barrel with this list of things that we've gone through today. We've not touched on drag queen story hour at the public library, or sex ed in public schools, or pedophilia, or prostitution, or pornography. This is not meant to be an exhaustive list of the worst sins, but it's enough to show us what those who are under the wrath of God will be turned over to. (coughs) Consider the rest of verse 30. They are disobedient to parents. It is a thing most natural to recognize the authority of one's parents But if they will not submit to their parents' authority, they will not submit to any authority. As we see in our culture today. Verse 31. They are without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. As Proverbs 12.10 says, even the compassion of the wicked is cruel. And Proverbs 27, 6 says, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And so verse 32, and although they know the righteous requirement of God, now get that, they know the righteous requirement of God. What have we read in this section? Verse 18, the wrath of God has been revealed 
from heaven. Verse 20, his eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen so that man is without excuse. And verses 26 to 27, they do what they know is contrary to nature. In this passage, We're only talking about natural law. We haven't even gotten to supernatural revelation, which comes in the next chapter. But just by natural, general revelation, they know the righteous requirement of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. And although they know this, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval. They're not just apathetic. They give hearty approval to those who practice such things. Those who do such things and those who approve such things will receive the same punishment, the wrath of God. And my friends, as I said to you in the beginning, it is important for us to recognize this. It's important for us to speak clearly about these things so that we will recognize the need for the gospel. Only one message has the power to rescue a person from the sins that we've just read here. And that message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power of God for salvation to all who believe. When I lived in Kansas, I was just an hour away from Westboro Baptist Church. I saw many of their protests. One time they came and protested our, our local high school graduation. And they'll have signs, one sign they will hold up that will say, Repent or perish. And another person standing right next to them will have a sign that says, it's too late to repent. So what's the purpose of the first message if the second is true? But my friends, I tell you, if there is breath in your lungs, it is not too late to repent. A friend of mine shared on social media this past week, I had sex with so many men and women, I lost count. I took my clothes off, did heroin, stole, lied, and cheated. I was an adulterer, an alcoholic, and an addict. Jesus Christ delivered me from that and dressed me in white. And so you can throw your paint, false church. No one can stain my gown. I am new. You might consider the sins that we've read about today to be absurd. And it's true, they are absurd. The more you sin, the more foolish you become. I've seen people throw their lives away for foolish passions, and you probably have as well. Once upon a time in my life, I almost did the same thing. It's only by the grace of God that I was not given over to my debased mind to do worse than what I was doing. I praise God that I came to my senses and I repented of my sin. And my life returned to being fixed on Christ instead of the desires of my flesh. 
all by the power of the gospel. As 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The scripture says he will give us a new heart and a new mind, no longer after the desires of our fallen flesh, but our desire will be Christ and his righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, we read, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, may there be sitting among us in our midst people who can say, I once was that, but I've been washed. By the blood of the Lamb at Calvary, as we sang about this morning. If you are convicted by anything that we have read this morning, and you know you need the forgiveness of your sins and Jesus Christ, your Savior, then I ask you to remain and talk to any of the pastors. Or if you go to a Sunday school class, talk to the Sunday school teacher. Know the forgiveness of God that is found in Christ alone. And for the rest of us, my friends, we need to know emphatically, the Bible is not glib about sin or its consequences. And we need to be clear as well, though the world may hate us. And we should not be haughty or arrogant when we speak about these sinful things in the Christ who saves. Because as I heard from Martin Lloyd-Jones this morning, who I was listening to as I was coming into church today, Lloyd-Jones said, it is the most amazing thing in the universe that there is even one Christian at all. But we are Christians by the grace and mercy of God. And so let none of us be arrogant about these things, but by the same mercy and grace that God has shown toward us, let us take the gospel of Christ to the nations. In Christ, the testimony of believers might sound something like this. Therefore, God gave them up in their hearts to self-control and purity. That their bodies might be honored among them as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. This is our spiritual act of worship. For they kept and cherished the truth of God and worshiped and served not the creature, but the creator who is blessed forever. And all God's people said, amen. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father. What a convicting thing it is to read about our sin. To be reminded that we were all at one time sons of disobedience, following the prince of the power of the air, and were by our nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We all deserve to be destroyed as Sodom and Gomorrah and to burn in hell forever, separated from the holiness and the majesty of God. But God, who is merciful and gracious toward us, did not leave us dead in our sin, but has made us alive together in Christ. By grace, we have been saved. And may it be that message of the gospel which came to us and saved us from our sin and saved us from judgment and the wrath of God be the very testimony of the gospel that we proclaim to others so that they too may be rescued from sin and have everlasting life with God. May we not whisper or mutter that message, but we speak bold truth, even in the midst of a culture that hates it. Guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's praise the Lord for redeeming us. Years I spent in
has been When We Understand the Text of Pastor Gabriel Hughes. For all of our podcasts, episodes, videos, books, and more, visit our website at www.utt.com. If you'd like to submit a question to this broadcast, or just send us a comment, email whenweunderstandthetext at gmail.com. And let your friends know about our ministry. Join us again tomorrow as we grow together in the study of God's Word, When We Understand the Text.